Today's episode is sponsored by Speak. Speak Vocal Empowerment Curriculum invites and supports students to empower their voices for self-advocacy and civic participation. The curriculum guides students through a series of vocal exercises, group activities, collaborative skit building, and deep reflection, and it culminates with a public sharing in which students identify community challenges and creatively propose new solutions. Speak has reached over a hundred educators and a thousand students worldwide and has proven to increase confidence and the ability to share ideas. Find Speak at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. I can't wait to introduce you to our guest today. Lana Hallamariam has lived at least nine lives. She's done so many things. The first thing I want to tell you about Lana is that we spoke on my birthday and the girls got pipes. Happy birthday, dear Christy. Happy birthday to you. Professionally, Lana has journeyed through teaching, administration, ministry, team mentoring, and the health and wellness industry. She's worked for nonprofits and for-profit companies in sales, marketing, event management, and currently works as a leadership and organizational coach with stand-up. Lana says, the path I traveled to stand-up hardly resembles a straight line, but the wisdom I gained through life's challenges has laid the foundation to authentic, meaningful conversations that positively impact people, teams, and organizations. It's these kinds of conversations that we wanted to talk to Lana about today. We first met her when she spoke at our 2020 Anti-Racist Curriculum and Instruction Conference, and Lana spoke on talking to youth about race and racial issues, and she was so popular with our attendees that we wanted to continue the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Lana. Thank you. Good to be here. Let's start by having you just tell us a little bit about your current role. Yeah, so I consider myself a facilitator. I'm a leadership and organizational coach. So my current work is around helping people to and organizations to get to wherever it is they want to get to, from wherever they are to wherever they want to be. And that looks a lot of different ways. Right now, we're doing a lot of work around youth development, leadership, diversity, equity, inclusion. So what is your background in educational spaces? What's the overlap for you? Yeah, so I used to be a teacher and an administrator. So I taught Spanish in my 20s. I'm fluent in Spanish. And that was for a private elementary school that was starting. So it was a hot mess. And it was fun because I love the hot messery of Mm -hmm. things. So that was my first step into teaching. It was about 12 years later. Then I landed the plane at Denver Public Schools as I wasn't in the classroom. I was an operations manager. So I had high interaction with staff and parents. 
And then I went into administration and I was the vice principal of culture. And that basically meant we send all of our, I'm air quoting, problem kids to you. And that is where I got my crash course into what the heck is going on in our education system and why it's not working. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great place to jump into how you happened to be presenting at the conference and you spoke about how to talk about race with with youth. Why is it important to talk about race with youth? Let's just start there. Yeah, well, it's important to name the things that you want to see change in. You cannot change something that you're pretending doesn't exist. And so when we say things like, you know, we're all equal, we're all the same, we're a part of the human race, then what we do is we eliminate our responsibility to the change part Mm -hmm. of whatever's broken in the system. And so I want to help people. I think the reason why the the conversations aren't happening is because people are fearful. You know, it's a very touchy topic. It's very emotional and very personal. And so it makes sense that people are apprehensive. Right. And so if we can empower people around how to engage in those conversations without causing more harm, then there's power in that. You've worked in a lot of organizations and with a lot of different ages. And so I'm wondering if there's anything specific to keep in mind or to know when we're working with youth and students. How is the conversation around race different with youth than it is with adults? Or is it different? It's not at all. And that's the first learning, I think. Okay. And so then that brings us to the actual problem is that we're not great listeners as adults. So Mm. it makes sense that a lot of young people don't feel heard or seen by adults. I mean, because we don't do a great job when we're talking with one another. You know, I think about like if I go to a friend and I express a problem, right? Oh, this thing happened. I don't know. You know, I'm so sad about it or I'm frustrated about this. And Our natural inclination is to fix the problem, give advice, or hand me a tissue, make me stop crying. Like, we don't know how to just be in it with someone. You don't have to fix it. And I think that's that's a kind of freeing thing. Like, really just give space for a voice. The key to it is acknowledging and validating, and that's what people suck at in general. I mean, just to say it bluntly. Lana is right. A diverse body of research confirms that our conversational and particularly our listening skills have declined drastically in the last decade. We can blame technology, but that's only part of the story. Listening skills, like anything, need to be taught and learned. You'll be hard-pressed to find a job posting for anything anywhere that doesn't include communication and interpersonal skills. And yet we rarely model or teach these in any intentional way. A great book is We Need to Talk by journalist Celeste Headley. Her TED Talk, titled 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation, is one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. And it's a great tool to explore with colleagues and students. You don't have to agree with me to acknowledge and validate what I'm saying. And when we look at adults who disagree and how they engage... It makes sense why, A, you know, people in education, they shy away from these conversations because we have terrible examples all around us of how these conversations are failing. But then also, see, we somehow think we're more empowered entering into the conversation with a young person 
right? Because the power dynamic is different. So we yeah. feel more confident going into these conversations with young people. And we end up causing more harm because we're bringing those same terrible skills that we have as adults with adults into engaging with conversations with young people around listening and around communication. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's interesting because another thing I wanted to ask you, which I feel like you just answered is, are there wrong ways to approach this conversation? And I think what you're saying is that the wrong way is to go in thinking that you know, or that you have some kind of authority about it instead of just coming in with a learning stance and asking authentic questions. Not the kind of questions where you're looking for a specific answer back, but real questions. Yeah, we call those open-ended questions that are from genuine curiosity. Yeah, we go in with our agenda a lot of times, right? And so we ask a lot of closed questions that are Mm -hmm. yes-no to get the child to get to a place that we want them to get to. And that makes sense. I've been in a classroom. I've been in a school. You don't have time. You still have time a lot of times to, you you know, rush these kids through these things that they're not emotionally ready to get through. And so they just, yes, know their way to wherever you want them to go and it's over and no one ever doubles back or worse energy that's unaddressed doesn't go away. Yeah. So typically you end up having recurring issues with the same students. Why? Because you didn't address it right the first 10 times. Mm -hmm. So it's keep, it's going to keep coming back. Well, I'm curious too, in talking about timing and how we never have enough time, like where is the right time and place for educators and parents too, I guess, but specifically for educators, because that's our audience to hold this conversation. And is there a wrong time and place to talk with kids about race? The hard thing is, I think, especially with teens is that you can't really schedule I mean, when a teenager is ready to talk about something, that's when they're ready to talk about it. Not when you have it on the schedule. So how do we manage it just logistically? Yeah. So I would say there are probably a couple of answers to that question. And the first one is, as an organization, as a school, what we say to ourselves is, okay, if our adults don't have enough time with young people, what is the barrier? So if it were a smart board, Right. And we had to get smart boards into every classroom. And there were maybe we're getting ready to open on, I don't know, making updates. August 20th, we're going to open. And on August 1st, 10 classrooms still don't have smart boards. What would happen? Everything would happen. The operations person would be in a tizzy. The principal would be freaking out. The, you know, everybody's going to be moving to get this thing done. Why? Because it's a priority. We've deemed it as important. We've set aside budget money to make this happen, and it's not happening. And now our whole focus is on, we got to make this happen. What if we did that for young people? What if our time with them was that important? What if in my admin meetings, we sat around and instead of talking about uniforms, we talked about how can we get these adults to engage more authentically with young people? Why are we not talking in so many of our staff meetings about the things that really matter? Well, because we have different ideas of what really matters, Yeah, you know? The other answer to the question as far as like when to have and how to have the conversation is to never not be ready. If you stay stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Yeah. And so my goal is to just empower adults and and being ready, you know, Mm -hmm. so that as soon as you get that, that moment, and I don't think that three years old is too young. And I don't think that 17 years old is too late. 
I think we should be intentionally having these conversations on purpose if they're not happening by accident. We should be creating it. So flesh that out for us. When you say, I empower adults, I empower people to continually be ready. How do you do that? What do you do? So I have, well, right now I do it through individual coaching and workshops. But for example, I don't know, one workshop is just listening, right? And okay, let's just pause and acknowledge that. I don't think I would have signed up for a workshop called listening skills. Like last year, I mean, I would have been like... (laughs) I've been like, I think I'm a pretty good listener. And I do. I think I'm a pretty good listener. But once I sat through it, I was like, oh, crap. I might suck at listening. I really, I have some work to do. So there's this moment of, right, understanding that we're never the masters of anything. And when you see that thing on the paper, I don't care if you've been to 10 bias workshops. If there's a new instructor of it, sign your butt up for it. You know, you're never above the learning. And so just knowing that, right, as parents, as teachers, as admins, we are not the experts at all the things we're never done. There's always an opportunity to grow and learn. And so when a young person comes to you to talk about anything, that's an opportunity to practice the new behaviors that you learn. So, for example, I'm teaching history. In history, you know, we got our we got our cornerstones of of black history. Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Malcolm X. Mm. Those are the three names that everyone in the world knows where it comes to Black history. And so what would happen if we told the story a different way and challenged the perspective? But don't just throw it out there. What if we ask the students open-ended questions to get them critically thinking about how they see themselves in whatever the story is? Giving them agency and allowing them to pursue their own curiosity is a way of giving them voice. Yeah, and it's scary because you don't know what the heck they're going to say or come back with or do. And we like to control things. I know. (laughs) You really do. I'm thinking about something that you did in your workshop and something you said a little while ago about that thing we do when someone comes to share a problem with us or something that they're struggling with. And we give them, we want to fix it or want to give them advice, or we immediately want to share a time when the same thing happened to us. And it's not really about us in that moment. And you talked in the workshop, which I think every single person just held up their hand and said, oh my gosh, guilty, because we all, we all do it. But you talked about this idea of validating and reflecting. And you explained that validating is not the same thing as agreeing or approving. And that concept alone is like a magic wand in difficult conversations for being a good listener, for diffusing disagreement and conflict. And I'm hoping you can unpack it for our listeners today and give some examples. Yeah. So my first and my favorite example is something I see a lot in schools. And I saw it sometimes at the school where schools where I've worked which is when children engage in an argument or a fight, like a physical altercation. And you look at how the adults respond. And what is the first thing that adults do when that happens? First thing is usually, hopefully, separate the the kids. Yeah. (laughs) Safety first, right? But then think about the conversations that are being had with each child separately. It's usually around, we don't put hands on each other. 
you don't fight here. This is not we do. Or, you know, this is a referral. You know, now you broke the rule or this, you know, it's so focused on the action. Mm -hmm. But the action, the action is like giving someone that has COVID a halls drop. It's not, you're not dealing with the virus. What caused the action was the emotions that drove it. This idea of being sensitive to emotions. And then the first thing to do is to de-escalate. How do you de-escalate? You acknowledge the emotions, right? So if I just got separated from a fight, I'm likely very pissed. I'm likely very riled up and high on adrenaline. My emotions are the first thing that you have to address. What are you feeling right now? I'm pissed off. I'm about to take her head off. As soon as you let me go, I'm going. Well, it makes sense that you're pissed off because you want to get across there and hurt her. That totally makes sense to me. Yes, of course you're pissed. Now, what have you done? You've diffused me just a little bit. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, because I I was heard, right? Like, I as the kid. I just want to be seen and heard. That's it. That's all we, adults want it, children want it. And what if, what if we did that first? What if that was the single most important thing, right? Just, just to step into that space with that person. Okay. So that's the first thing is doing that. And then let's go to when it hurts. Okay. So let's say I'm the teacher, this big thing erupted in the classroom. I separate the students and the student says, you suck. You're the worst teacher in the world. And it's because of you that he came after me. Okay. You sound a little angry. Are you, are you angry right now? Or what is it that you're feeling? I'm frustrated because you don't never call on me. And that's why he was making fun of me in the first place. And I had to go hit him. This is your fault. Well, it makes sense that you're frustrated because you you think that I'm ignoring you. And I didn't see you when you raised your hand and you felt ignored. And at no point am I admitting to sucking. Right. As a teacher, you know, but in that moment, what is that child going to come back with? Oh, crap. My teacher just heard me. Mm-hmm. They actually listened. They get me a little bit of the wall comes down, you know, but we're so worried about who's right and wrong in the situation. We're so worried about maintaining our power and none of that's important. Right. The human being in front of you that's full of emotions and is just as human as you is what's the priority. So if we can just like cut through all of the BS and just get to that thing in each of us, then that can inform how we move forward. The other one to your point is I encourage people to throw I understand in the trash. And this is a tough message that I'm about to share that I think a lot of people of color, I'm a black female. I'm, you know, multi-ethnic, just like a lot of black people, but I identify as black. And I think a lot of people of color are not having this particular conversation, which is just because I'm a person of color does not mean that I am more of an authority on whatever's going on with you race-wise. We're not homogeneous. We don't all have the same experience. And so if a little Black boy says something to me about his experience, I don't have to have that experience. It doesn't have to become mine. I don't have to tell a story about how I understand. He's allowed to have his experience, and that's okay. And if I don't get it, it's okay. You know, not all Black people grew up in the struggle you know, avoiding, I don't know, drug dealers and living a tough life. Does it, listen, it's just not real. Yeah. <laughs> not every Latino that comes here, you know, is an immigrant. That makes sense because we're really just labeling and categorizing people when we do that. And we don't have to understand somebody's experience to validate it. No, 
No, and you don't even have to agree with it. You get to. You get to take up space just like me. You get to feel whatever you want to feel and every emotion you feel is valid. What if we empowered our young people in that same way? It would make the race conversations a lot easier to navigate. So much easier. A quick reminder to our listeners that our sponsor today has an amazing resource to help you navigate conversations by empowering student voice. Here's Dr. Chelsea Hackett, the founder and CEO of Speak. Speak is a vocal empowerment organization. We support the voices of young women and girls across the globe. We focus on the physical voice, the social emotional voice, and the civic voice to ensure that young women can use their voices to effectively support themselves and their communities. Join one of our trainings to support your own voice as an educator and to learn about our free curricula and how you can support your students today. You can reach out to Dr. Hackett and the Speak team at edcuration.com. And now back to our episode. I feel like you probably have some valuable insights to share specifically with white teachers because it is white educators, I think, who struggle more to figure out how to facilitate the race conversations with grace. A lot of white educators, I feel like, don't feel like they have the permission to facilitate these conversations because of what you just said. I'm not able to stand up and say, I understand. And because I don't understand and I don't have that shared experience, I don't have the right to facilitate the conversation. What advice do you have for white educators? Yeah, the crazy thing is that I have a lot of frustration with and probably even more compassion for white educators because I can't imagine what it might be like to be a white person stepping into recognition of one's own privilege or power and also caring about it and not knowing how to navigate that, but being expected to. Yeah. And how to hold those things side by side. Exactly. And so to that extent, I have a lot of compassion for for that, that tension, right? That exists. And how do you deal with that tension? You take a step somewhere in any direction. I liken it to like, if you imagine a spiral staircase, let's say it's going up, right? You're at the the foot of the staircase and you're looking up like that's where I'm trying to be. It's a lot of doggone stairs in between here Mm -hmm. and there. And that can Mm -hmm. feel very overwhelming. But if you just look at the step in front of you and take that step and you do that like a hundred times before you know it, you'll be exactly where you want to go. And so what I would say is that the first step is to do your own work, which I know that's like, I feel like that's cliche now, do your own work. But I mean, what that means is read a book, go to a workshop, talk to people of color or whatever the group is that you feel least connected to or least that you least understand. Go and get in those spaces and be around those people. Look at your friends. Look at your friends, white people. How many people of color are in your immediate friendship circle? Okay. So if your circle's pretty white and you want to authentically move into these spaces, add some color to your circle. Like this is an easy place to start. And you can go authentically into that. Hey, Lana, I was listening to this podcast the other day and the lady told me to look at my circle and my circle's 100% white. I know we haven't been friends 
and we haven't really engaged a lot, but I think you're dope and I would like to get to know you better because I want, I want to change my circle. Like, I don't, I don't want to fake this thing. Like, why can't you just say that? The person will say yes or no. Right. And you move on. Just, you know, fear cannot be the barrier. I'm tired of, I'm scared. I don't, you know, I'm hesitant. I don't know what to do. That's, that can't be your barrier, right? Pick a thing and do it. Here's the other thing. And this is, I think, the biggest issue when it comes to white educators in very white spaces is that we know the things, but we don't push our peers. And so when you're sitting in a room, let's say, of eight teachers or administrators, right? Let's say two of them are on your thinking. You know, they, they got that Christie mindset. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to be anti-racist. They've done, they're doing their work, right? They're always open. Their circles are diverse. All the things. There's two of them in the space. The rest are not. What happens as far as your influence in that space? Are you pushing your peers? Mm-hmm. Are you questioning things every single time? Yeah. Are you staying silent when it's public? Those little things are what make the difference. You don't need to go downtown and hold up a sign to prove who you are. Do your own work and take your one little step at a time and you will end up someplace new. Yeah, I love that. And you talked about, I'm tired of I'm afraid. Like we just have to move forward. We're all afraid. And our students are afraid. And so I think that's the next challenge for educators is how do we address and help our students process their fears? Yeah, unabashed honesty and transparency are the vehicles to that. Young people are insanely, I don't know, like empathetic. They can pick up on what, what's real for us. And so when a young person is scared and then we show up for that young person, they can tell how comfortable you are. Mm-hmm. They can tell, you know. So it's not about what you say. It's about who you are and how you're showing up in that moment. So that's why there's not a lot of here's what you say. Here's what you do when you're yeah. <laughs> when you're talking to me, because I don't care what you say or do. You can make mistakes if you show up authentically and you're totally transparent. Young people are so forgiving. You know what I mean? Yeah, if, but you're, if, you're, if you're real. If you're, they really are. But if you show up thinking that you have all the answers or you me- memorized your script and you're not even listening, then that's, that's going to cause more harm than if you showed up humbly from mm-hmm. a place of curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, just as broken as that young person and said the wrong thing. Yeah. That would cause less harm. It's really encouraging listening to you because you realize like, oh, these are practices that I can actually learn to do. And even if I don't have them fully under my belt, it's clear and pragmatic enough that you can fake it till you make it in a sense. But talk about how you've observed these impacting classrooms. Share a success story. Well, okay, you got to qualify what success looks like for this story, but it's a big deal to me. So we had this one gentleman, let's call him Tommy. Tommy would have good days and bad days. So this one particular day, I was in a class and Tommy walks out. So I get on the radio. I'm like, I need somebody to come and replace me so that I can go and be with Tommy. When normally the call would be, go get Tommy. Mm -hmm. He's in the streets, you know, go find him. And so I went out and he was kicking lockers, screaming. And so, you know, I sent the notice, like, try to keep your kids in the classroom. We need a little bit of time in this hallway. We held the bell, you know, 
we, yeah. we were trying to create a space. And eventually Tommy, like I was just kind of hanging out waiting for Tommy to calm down because I knew him well enough to know now was not the time to engage. Eventually he sits on the bench. I sat on the bench, but on the opposite end. And I just sat there in silence. And eventually he looks over and he's like, I'm not going to talk to you. I said, okay. And we just sat there in silence. He got up, kind of took a lap, came back, sat on the bench. I didn't say anything. The third lap, he came and sat down on the bench. He says, why don't you leave me alone, Miss H? And I said, I didn't know I was bothering you. I'm just sitting on the bench. Eventually, he said something that was really powerful. And I will never forget this. He said, nobody else is out here sitting on this bench. My response was, am I enough? And that's where the conversation started. And it was okay if he said no. You know, that was an honest question because maybe I wasn't the one. But everything he was doing was a distraction from what was going on inside of him. And he just needed to be seen and heard. And having the patience to just sit on that bench for what felt like an eternity, knowing that we got to change classes soon, but I can't let hundreds of thousands of students into the thousands of kids into the hallway unless, you know, I can get him somewhere safe. Him being that important, I think, is a success story. Now, I mean, it didn't end perfectly. He eventually made it to my office, and it still took probably another 20 to 30 minutes for him to get settled to the point where he could go back into class. But I still count it as success because prior to that, he, he would do a lot of damage, and he would last a lot longer, like on 10. He was diffusing himself as I just sat there. And I just watched it. I didn't try to control him. I didn't threaten him. I, did, I was just there for him. You know, and yeah, I just... You didn't bring some security guard in to haul him out of there? Well, he was there, but I told them to stay out of sight, you know, because mm-hmm. that's, that's the protocol, I guess. But yeah. I just... There's another way. There's always another way. And if we're getting the same result and doing the same thing, we know that's the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, like, who's brave enough to try something different? I'm curious if you see any kind of redeeming side to the current racial upheaval and violence that's been going on this past year. Oh, sure. I think the big win is that white people now see it. <laughs> what, what, what we, I'm air quoting, have known all the time. It's frustrating. And I think that's why you have a lot of different buckets of where people are with, you know, 2020, because there's apathy from a lot of groups. It's just, I'm, I've given up. I'm not even going to participate in these spaces. I don't care. I'm just going to do my thing. You know, white supremacy is what it is. It's not going to change. And I'm tired of talking about it. A lot of people of color are there. A lot of people of color are still in the fight like me, you know? still willing to sit down and have conversations and and figure it out. There's another bucket of, okay, so, so what now? So we're all here now, you know, (laughs) great. Yeah. We're all here gathered around this elephant in the room and we finally acknowledge that it's here. How do we get out? Yeah. Yeah. We're still not sure how to deal with the elephant, but we aren't, at least we're looking at it. We're talking about it. We are. We're we're just, it's okay. It's here. We're all here. We see each other. We see the elephant. And I feel like that's where we're stuck right now. What I would love to see 
is a lot more powerful movement forward by brave souls. And here's something that I don't know if people are saying, but I'm just going to say it, is that I believe that white people are the key to this movement. Because see, black people can't fix a system that we didn't create. It has to be fixed from the inside out. And I am not inside. And so until white people take it on, not as something to do, like not as Lana, I'm going to stand by you, more so as Lana, step back. I got you. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this with you. I'm responsible for this. I take this on. Not creeping up behind me, Lana, what can I do? Or do you need me yet? You know, that kind of, I I think that that's when the movement will shift. When white people take it on as their own and powerfully move forward with the support of all the groups that want that. So like cleaning up the mess that, that we've made. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a fault thing. It's just a, you know, if I built the house, then I know all the parts of the house, right? I know where the electric is, where the plumbing is, and it just saves time. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for this house. If I want to change it, I know where everything is because I know how I built it. That's really what it's about. It's not about guilting people or shaming people or, you know, let's just, let's just all own our piece and and move forward powerfully, Mm -hmm. never letting go of that piece. Yeah. Where could people potentially find you if they thought, oh, I'd love to participate in a workshop. I'd love to bring stand up to my school, my staff, my organization. Where could, how could they do that? Or if they just want to say, hey, Lana. Or if they want to say, hey, Lana, I think you're dope. And when COVID's done, I'd love to have coffee. Yes. Let's see. So I'm 42. So email is the best way okay. to reach me. I'm dating ourselves, right? So Lana at standupteam.org. But also I am on social media. And the cool thing about me is my name is, I think I'm the only Lana Hella Miriam yeah. out there. So I'm really easy to find. So it's L-A-N-A-H-A-I-L-E-M-A-R-I-A-M. So if you Instagram or Facebook, you can find me very easily. Very easily. And I'll make sure that that is in the program notes for this episode. So if anybody's in your car and you couldn't take... No, you couldn't write that down. Don't worry. I got you covered. For stand-up, do you guys ever do kind of open registration type events that people can just sign up for and come? Yeah, we actually do. And we're getting into doing more of those for 2021. (laughs) Funny thing. So I don't know if you've seen those memes. They've kind of died down now. But there used to be a lot about COVID breaking up a lot of marriages because people now have yeah. to spend all this time so together. Time together. <laughs> so I used to do Clifton Strengths workshops for couples and it's been incredible the amount of requests. So <laughs> something like I'm going to do that again in 2021. And we also do some energy leadership work that's okay. open to whomever. So yes, we do have a bunch of opportunities where people could just choose to engage individually or their organization could pay. We also have scholarships for people that work at nonprofits. That's lovely. And they can find stand-up at, the website is just stand-up? Yeah, so standupteam.org, standupteam.org. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I have one last question for you. And I kind of asked you already what you're seeing as maybe the upside of the past year, but 
just in general, what is making you feel hopeful right now? I would say my daughter. My daughter just turned 13. And I'm going to give you all a little example. So she plays this game, Roblox. If you're a parent, you already know what I'm talking about. And apparently her account got hacked. And when it got hacked, they took all of her like badges and all the things that she had earned and everything. So she got fed up and stopped. And she had contacted Roblox, the organization, and said, you know, my account got hacked, whatever. And she said they didn't even care. They didn't respond, whatever. So fast forward, her dad gets her a Roblox gift card. So she's like, okay, fine, I'll re-engage, you know? So she goes, makes a new account, and now she is rallying. She's created a group in Roblox for people whose accounts have been hacked and they don't feel that Roblox took good care of them. And so she's creating this, like, it's all these little, like, 10 to 13-year-olds in this group that are coming up with a plan of, like, how to force the system to do what we want it to do, you know, because we recognize our power. And so I look at her and I think that there is hope, like something... There's a fire there. Yeah. So this is a girl who has filled out her skin and who has a sense of her power and her voice in the world. Yeah. And we we need more of those kids. We have more of those kids. We just give them their voice back. If you're looking for ways to give students more voice, Speak Vocal Empowerment curriculum and workshops help students explore their physical, emotional, ethical, psychological, and civic voices to increase confidence and the ability to share ideas. Olympia, a high school senior from Boulder, Colorado, said, Vocal empowerment is something I look forward to every week. We are so open with each other, and we have been able to grow together in using our voices. We use our voices as ourselves, but also as a community. You can find and connect with Speak at edcuration.com. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. You can also find all of our podcast episodes there with links and notes to help you reach out to Lana and book her for your next team training or professional development because she's amazing. If you'd like to share a topic or resource with our podcast audience, you can contact us through our website. And if you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, like, share, leave us a comment telling us how you increase student voice in your school or classroom. And tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Ed Curation Podcast, where we're reshaping learning.